Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Front Proof Nation podcast. This is episode six. I'm Joseph Correa, and I'm here with Hector Franco. Listen, what's good, everybody? We got a lot of fights to talk about from this past weekend. Let's get going. So in today's show, we're going to recap the Canelo Kovalev showdown that went down this past weekend. And what a spectacular fight or a spectacular ending that fight featured. Yeah, definitely more of a spectacular ending. Um, Saul Canelo Alvarez became a four-weight division world champion. He stopped Kovalev in the 11th round uh, by technical knockout. He now joins uh, Eric Morales, Jorge Arce, and Juan Manuel Marquez as the only fighters from Mexico to have won titles in four different weight classes. Although, I think Mikey Garcia also fits in that distinction as well. I'm not sure why he's not mentioned, but that's neither here nor there. So, let's talk about the fight itself. I mean, what did you think about Canelo's performance? You know, Canelo was Canelo. He did exactly what we thought he would do. A lot of people said he was going in against a faded fighter. I, I'm not going to say that Kovalev was faded, but he definitely had a game plan that I don't think anybody expected. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought just scoring it round by round, I gave a lot of rounds to Kovalev. I had him winning before the knockout occurred. Now, I read a lot on Twitter that the scorecards during the fight were were wide or different in a large variety with a lot of different members and press rows. So, you know, before this stoppage, I had Kovalev ahead like six rounds to four. Um, but a lot of that was just based on activity. You knew that um, it wasn't, he was winning rounds, but he wasn't necessarily winning the fight. And that's one of the reasons why I love boxing, because it's chess, not checkers. You can lose rounds, but you could still put in the work to make a difference later on. And I think that's what Canelo did. I mean, he turned it up in the 11th round and, and scored a knockout. And um, I just want to say this for every boxing fan out there. If you believe that Kovalev took a dive, please stop watching boxing. Just just stop. Yeah, just stop. It's, it's annoying. Just stop. Please stop. Definitely not taking a dive there. I mean, Yo. the man came in with a different game plan. That's all. Why would you wait until the 11th round and get hit by... Yeah, he's not Denzel. He's not Daniel Day-Lewis. That man doesn't slump on the ropes like some kind of actor or something. It's just become r ridiculous. I mean, the amount of hate that Canelo gets is... It's kind of getting overboard where people who aren't, I'm not even necessarily the biggest fan of his and I'm becoming more and more of a fan of his now. Um, you know, but speaking of the performance, um, I did like a lot of the things that Canelo did. It's amazing that this guy who uh, at one time fought Miguel Cotto at a 155 pound catch weight um, just four years ago for the middleweight title is now knocking out light heavyweights. Um, and, you know, whether you think Kovalev was at the top of the division or, you know, uh, a faded fighter. He was definitely a top five, like heavyweight or top four, you know, um, and I think that was a great win for Canelo. I think it's one of the best wins of his career. Uh, it sets off a, a great year for him where he got a, a solid and clear victory over Daniel Jacobs and now a stoppage victory over Sergey Kovalev. And look, how many fights are available to Canelo now? I mean, does he stay at light heavyweight? Does he go to super middleweight? Is there a chance that he goes back down to middleweight, which I think is probably going to be his third option? Although, 
I will say, although a Canelo Callum Smith fight could be huge in the UK, uh, money wise and maybe subscriber wise, uh, for DAZN, I think a third Canelo Triple G fight is still viable financially. What do you think? Well, here's what I think. I don't think Canelo and his people are going to go to the UK, regardless of the money, because he's the cash cow in boxing. So regardless of where he fights, he's going to draw. So I don't think they're going to go there. I think they're going to keep it in Vegas or somewhere where it's going to be very Canelo friendly. Texas, yeah. Cali. Some, you know, something yeah. like that, because um, th- they're not going to take any chances. You know what? Um, When he fought uh, the UK fighter from, oh, he's from UK, Rocky Fielding. Uh, they fought in Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, I know that was more of a, you know, more of a tune-up, you know, kind of an easy look to get a title. Um, but still a good victory for Canelo. He looked great in that fight. Maybe they'll do it in New York again. You know, I know the taxes are ridiculous in that state, but, you know, maybe they'll go back to the New York. He seemed to, you know, generate a lot of, uh, you know, fans went to that fight. So I think that's a great option for him. But the discussion now that Canelo has won against Kovalev, the discussion has turned into pound for pound. And I know here at Front Proof Nation, we don't talk pound for pound that much. But, you know, ESPN earlier today actually updated their pound for pound rankings. And I just wanted to discuss that a little bit. I think the top four are pretty clear. However you have it, however you slice it up, I think, you know, it's really splitting hairs. You know, you got Canelo, you got Terrence Crawford, Nawa Inoue from Japan, and then you got Vasily Lomachenko. I think a lot of it might be preference. Uh, What are your thoughts? I think Canelo's pound for pound the best boxer on the planet. I've said this many, many times. Name another fighter in boxing that has a resume like Canelo other than Manny Pacquiao. That's true. You Um, can't name any. Now, a lot of people will be quick to say, well, Canelo fought a guy at the tail end of his career or he fought a guy older than him. Uh, He fought a guy that was weaker than him. I mean, the same could be said about a lot of legends in the sport. You're not going to fight, you know, guys in their prime all the time. That's just how nature works. Uh, He can't help it that Kovalev's older than him. Uh, Kovalev is still a big name. Absolutely. Look, look at the people. Kovalev was running through people. In fact, he was one of the top five pound for pound fighters not too long ago. Yeah, he was um, one of the best. I, I don't know how you can say that he's not the pound for pound number one guy, whether you like him or not. See, because I think a lot of people are not giving him his due because they don't like him because of his management or because of his promotion uh, ties. But... I don't think that you can front on a fighter with a resume like that, regardless. No, his resume is definitely the best in the sport. But here's the thing, though. Um, Inoue is undefeated. And his last three fights were at a new weight class at 118. And he knocked all three guys out in less than two rounds. None of those guys have been knocked out before. And they didn't make it past the second round. Um, so he definitely has a case as far as skill. And, and here's the thing about Canelo. His resume is the best, but out of those three guys, he also has the worst loss. Um, he got 12 zipped by Floyd a while ago. And he has a lot of controversial fights, man. I mean, fights with Lara, the Golovkin fight. So for me, I, I wouldn't put him at number one. 
Um, but I would say that, you know, he's definitely in the top four. He, he's in that Mount Rushmore, you know, as, as they would say. But I wouldn't put him above Crawford, Lomachenko, or in a way, because simply put, I think if those guys were the same size, I, I think they would beat Alvarez. So once again, you know, the same can be said for a lot of legends in the sport in terms of having controversial fights. Mayweather himself, the Castillo one fight, right. a lot of people, you know, anytime Mayweather says, you know, he's uh, the best ever, anything like that, what comes up? Oh, but right. he lost to Castillo in the first fight. And that was controversial. The second fight, he wiped him out. So, I mean, you have many, many fighters throughout the years that you know, right, have the but, same same thing going on. But you can't say that about Crawford. No, you no, can't. You can't, you can't you, say that about Inoue. You can't. But but Crawford nor Inoue have anywhere near the caliber of fighters uh, or have not fought the caliber of fighters that Canelo has fought uh, in his career. No, no. they they Canelo definitely has a better resume overall. But, um, you know, I, I just wouldn't put him at, I wouldn't put him at number one. But it doesn't really matter because um, as far as him marketing himself, he could market himself as pound for pound. And I, I think he certainly has the right to feel that way. And... You know what's not debatable? What's him that? being the biggest superstar in the sport. That's, that's not debatable. That's so, hey, I mean, at the end of the day, he, he's got that. But looking at um, ESPN's pound for pound list, you know, Dan Raphael actually did agree with you. He uh, did rank um, Canelo as his number one pound for pound fight. I think they did a poll with a bunch of the writers, including guys like uh, Andre Ward, Steve Kim, Joe Tessitore, Teddy Atlas, etc. They still have Lomachenko number one, which I, I would disagree with personally, but they got Terrence Crawford number two. They got Alvarez number three, in a way, number four. They have Spence at number five. Um, you know, hopefully we'll see him return soon. Then we got Usyk at number six, Golovkin at number seven, Juan Francisco Estrada at number eight, uh, Manny Pacquiao at number nine. And then closing out the top ten was Mikey Garcia. I think it's a solid list. You know, I think the as far as having all top ten of the fighters, I think all ten are are pretty solid. I think they all belong up there, but I think they got the top three right. Um, because although I'm big on Inoue and I would probably put him number one, I, I understand that because of the weight class he fights in, you know, he, he's not going to be able to get, even if he fights the guys that are considered the best in the weight class, which is all he can do, um, because those are smaller fighters, you know, their names aren't as big, you know, it, you can't really compare, uh, Canelo fighting Daniel Jacobs to, uh, you know, in a way fighting Jamie McDonald or Emmanuel Rodriguez. And those were both world champions. So, um, at the end of the day, you know, Alvarez definitely has the best resume in the sport and also being in your prime matters. I mean, this guy is, isn't even 30 yet. He's not 30. That's crazy. And he, he's a four-way division champion already. So you got to give Alvarez all the props that he deserves. But there is somebody out there who's looking to challenge him. Oh, oh, oh. I, I think that uh, at light heavyweight, we got some guys that would definitely step in the ring with him. Let's see one of them now. Let's see what he has to say. Yeah, it's one of the... Yeah, I think yes. It's... Uh, the best uh, fight for me, I, uh, and uh, I wanna. He has a belt. He has a name. Uh, I can earn uh, money with him. I can uh, make a big name uh, in this fight. Yeah, of course. He also has a belt at 168, and you mentioned you could make 168. If you wanted to go down there, would you be open to that too? If yeah, yeah, 
Uh, I can make 168 to fight. Uh, he has WBA at 168. Yeah, yeah. I would like to fight him 168 to or 175. And Kovalev or cruiserweight. <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> so that was Dmitry Bivol. He says he wants to fight Canelo at 168, 175, or cruiserweight. Now that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, yeah, he would fight him anywhere. Basically, I mean, clear, clearly the money's there, though. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that those comments definitely were directed towards the money. Uh, I do think he'd fight him, and I think it'd be a good fight. We talked about that in the last two episodes, I believe, that Bivol would be a good matchup for him. He's young. People wouldn't be able to say, hey, this guy's not in his prime. Right, right. Um, he's a smaller light heavyweight. So in terms of size, it's a great matchup. Yeah. You know, what What are your thoughts on that? Do you think... I you think, think it's... Um, I think it's a bad idea for Canelo. I think that he, if he fights Bivol, a guy who has fresh legs for 12 rounds, I think just looking at the Kovalev fight... Bivol is going to do a lot of the things to neutralize him as part of what Kovalev's game plan was. A lot of the same things he's going to utilize. So I think that would be, I don't know if that would be the best idea for Canelo to fight Bivol. Although, you know, he could pull out the win still. I'm not saying that it's not a uh, competitive fight. I just think style-wise, I think that Bivol um, might be a secondary choice. I think it would be better to, for him to fight better BF, to be honest with you. Really? But absolutely. Better BF is a come forward fighter. He's going to throw hand. One of the differences though, between better BF and Kovalev, having just said that though, is while Kovalev was definitely not throwing a lot of power punches on that night, you better believe better BF is going to be throwing nothing but power punches. And you know, maybe that's just me being, um, you know, kind of a sick, a sick individual who likes to see bloodbaths and uh, wars. But, you know, I would love to see Canelo take on Arter Bader Biev. And I think style-wise, I think it's a better fight for him than Bivol. Now, do you think he can slow a guy like Bader Biev down, though? That's the, yeah. key, that's the key to that fight. Because he is elusive enough to avoid a lot of the, you know, headshots and things yeah, from Bader Biev because of the speed. And like you said, he's a plotting, come-forward type of throw hammer type of fighter. Yeah. So he can avoid a lot of that. But what happens when better be because it's it's bound to happen where better be gets him against the ropes. What happens then? See, I don't know if you noticed in the Kovalev fight, but Kovalev got him against the ropes in the middle rounds right. and didn't fire off at all. Right. Like he kinda like was hesitant to do it because Canelo was looking to counter all night. Right. So yep. that's that's for those who don't really know boxing, Kovalev, the reason why he was throwing kind of tap, 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 one, Buddy McGirt was telling him to do that. Following the game plan. Follow the game but plan. But yeah. number two, he didn't want to overcommit with power so that he could be countered because every time he did, Canelo countered him. And that's yeah. exactly what he was looking to do, counter to the body. If you notice, all night, go back and watch the fight. All night, Canelo was countering to the body each time that Kovalev overcommitted on a punch. So the game plan was to go in and kind of tap, tap, tap. And if you saw an opening 
or Canelo was kind of off balance or out of position, then you fire off with power. But Canelo was in great position most of the night, and Kovalev really never got a chance to get off like that. No, I mean, he threw some right hands every once in a while, but it wasn't... You know, it, it wasn't anything where he even hurt, staggered. I'm not sure nothing. he landed any. No, he landed a couple right hands. Power, though? Yeah. yeah, he landed a couple. I mean, I don't know how much power he has on it, but it now wasn't he like... Did, he threw some body shots, too, which was rare to see from Kovalev. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good idea to do against a guy moving up in weight, you know, to throw to the body more. But I definitely, you know, want to see uh, what's next for Alvarez. Uh, interesting enough, um, even going down to 168, guys like Callum Smith what, what or, you know, because Canelo actually in a couple years, I think since maybe Liam Smith hasn't fought a guy under 30 years of age. So I think uh, how about Canelo against David Benavidez? I said that before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one <laughs> thing fight. about Benavidez, you know he's going to throw combinations. So in terms of uh, stylistically, that fight would be great because they both throw combinations really well. Right. So yep. a guy with fast hands like Benavidez, could Canelo be as elusive is the question. Because, you know, we've been saying, you know, he's picked up on his defense ever oh. since the Mayweather fight. But Really, he hasn't fought anybody with real fast hands. And no. Benavidez has fast hands. Benavidez has fast hands. He's big as well. And he's he's a lot, he's actually a lot younger than Canelo. I mean, the man, what, he's like 22 years old, 22, 23. You know, Canelo's going to hit 30 next year. So, you know, that's definitely a possibility. There's so many options. What about Zurdo? Ah, uh, Gilberto Ramirez, you know, that'd be a good, that'd be an okay fight too. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think he moved up to light heavyweight. Yeah. I'd like to see Zuldo maybe win a title at light heavyweight. Maybe he should fight Bivol first. Um, although I, I know he's with top rank and, um, you know, I, I haven't, I don't think he's fought since April. I think he's going through some kind of promotional issues with top rank or something. So I don't know when we'll see him back in the ring again. Um, and, you know, hopefully probably next year sometime, but that would be another good fight, you know, an all Mexican showdown. Um, be, two, I think it'd be a tech, tactical fight. Yeah. Though. Two good body punchers too. Absolutely. I, I think that'd be a solid matchup. I mean, Hey, you know, out of everybody in the sport, Alvarez has the world as, you know, as his oyster, as they say. So he could pick and choose wherever and whenever he goes. But, you know, I think that if he chose to go back down to middleweight, I think it would only happen next year because um, him being 29, I think him moving back down in weight, he would only, it's only advisable for him to do that when he's still young. Um, so, I mean, if he moved back down, you know, I, I would still like to see him fight Andre or Jamal Charlo, even a third Golovkin fight, I wouldn't mind. But honestly, the, the fights above middleweight, I feel like are more interesting now. You love that, that triple G fight. You've I would love to see it. Yeah, yeah. you you love that, and and you know when you they were great go back, yeah, absolutely. And when you go back and watch them, you know, a lot of us feel that Triple G won the first one, if not both. Yeah, a um, lot of people. I do. thought they split. Yeah, I, that's I what thought it they split be, personally. Much, I, I thought say. that Triple G won the first one, Canelo won the second one. Uh, a third fight would be great. I don't know why. Canelo doesn't want that fight. I think that's a bigger money fight than all the fights we mentioned. It is. It's still the biggest you know, one. Um, but still the biggest maybe one. again, like you said, the world is his oyster. So 
every fight's a big money fight for him. So really he doesn't need to do it. And that's probably why he's not as motivated. Yeah, I think so too. And I think there's, you know, some personal issues between the two where I, I feel like because of the circumstances behind their second fight and, and really their first fight, you know, because of the scoring by Adelaide Bird, um, you know, giving him that fight 118-110. I think there's there's still some bad blood and some residual, you know, effects from those fights. So, you know, they may not happen, but, you know, to each his own, you know, I'd love to see it if they come back to it. But speaking of, you know, Canelo being the biggest superstar, um, he's the biggest superstar in boxing, but this past weekend, he took a back seat um, to the UFC, who had a card in the uh, at Madison Square Garden in New York uh, for a belt that uh, is non-existent, the BMF or Bad Motherfucker Belt between Jorge Masvidal and uh, Nate Diaz, and The Rock was there. You had President Trump there. Even Roberto Duran was there. So if you don't know, on the DAZN podcast, excuse me, the DAZN podcast, on the DAZN streaming app uh, where they were showing the Alvarez-Kovalev fight, after the Ryan Garcia um, Duno bout and uh, Garcia scored a first round knockout there, it was 95 minutes later until Alvarez and and uh, Kovalev actually touched gloves in the middle of the ring. Now, they could have cut that time if they, you know, cut off uh, singing all three national anthems or maybe done it sooner. But, you know, did boxing, was it, do you feel like it was something negative for uh, the zone and maybe Golden Boy? I, I think it was more so zone to push uh, subscribers. Was it a good idea for them to delay the showing of the Alvarez-Kovalev fight in your view? I don't think so because it's not good for the fighters. Number one. One, I, did you see them? They were sleeping. Yeah, they were that was a I've bad never visual. seen fights uh, where the fighters are taking naps, you know, and it's being broadcast, them taking naps. Which, by the way, did you notice Kovalev was like on a Big Lots couch and... <laughs> <laughs> big lots. If you don't know what big lots is, it's a that's a kind of a cheese store down here. He, in Florida, was, he was on a budget couch, and Canelo was on some plush Tony Montana type stuff. Man, it's that side, bro. It, it was crazy. But no, I I don't think it was a good idea. I don't know why they did it. Uh, I know both events were popular, but you know, I I don't think Canelo's much a much bigger star than either one of Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal. And, you know, I don't think it's a good idea for fighters to have to go cold like that. Uh, uh, you're absolutely and it was, right. it was worse for Kovalev, by the way. Yeah, I heard um, apparently that, you know, when you have your wraps on for that long, after a while, your hands start to go numb, you know? Yep. And, you know, them waiting between that, you know, warming up and then finding, okay, well, you know, there's going to be a delay. Then they got, they rest and they warm up again. You know, we don't know what kind of effect that had on the fighters. You know, I, I, I don't think it affected the actual outcome of the fight, but you never know. Um, as f it's, it's just strange to me that they took a back seat. Um, I know the people in the arena were probably happy. You know, they, they showed the UFC there, you know, in between uh, the fights. So I'm sure in the arena you were probably happy. But if you were a subscriber like myself, you know, there, there wasn't anything but, uh, you know, interviews with celebrities talking about the fight. You know, FYI to the zone, it wasn't a good look. And, and honestly... Since half of the population, as Steven Espinoza pointed out on Twitter, um, more than half of the country is in Central and Eastern time zones. And 
the fight ended at 2.15 a.m. for me. Now, after that, it I guess daylight savings kicked in and it went back to 1 a.m. But, you know, it was a long, long night of boxing. Well, I don't think they anticipated Ryan Garcia no, getting that didn't Duno help. out of there. No, that didn't help at all. Nope. I mean, it was good for Ryan Garcia. Very impressive knockout. Right. But right. I don't think they anticipated that. In fact, I think they thought he was going to be in a little bit of trouble in this fight. Yeah, it was supposed to be uh, his biggest test. Correct. And he got his man out of there. You know, he clipped him and Duno couldn't recover and, you know, fight was stopped. But rightfully so. He was definitely done. They This actually happened on um, Canelo's last pay-per-view on the second Triple G fight where I think it was Jaime Munguia scored a really quick knockout. Then Roman Gonzalez scored a really quick knockout. And then they delayed the start of the main event for like two hours or so. Um, now, I wasn't as late as the DAZN app, but I guess this is nothing new. Um, you know, I... I really feel like there is, especially in boxing and as a, a member of the media, that a lot of companies that are based out of the West Coast, not saying any names, don't have a lot of respect for people in the East. I mean, and, and I know that uh, that might be controversial to say, but listen, th this happens a lot. You know, the, the East Coast boxing fan has to stay up much, much later than the West Coast boxing fan. Yeah. So back to the Masvidal Diaz fight. I mean, did you get a chance to see that? I saw it. Um, it seemed like Masvidal pretty much dominated, and then the fight was stopped off of cuts. Um, rightly or wrongly, you know, I I think that those cuts were in bad spots. They were bad cuts. Um, I think that for the promotion of the fight, however, it, it probably wasn't the best look to have a um, a pay-per-view title, the, the, you know, off of a BMF or bad motherfucker belt. And then the fight stopped, it stopped off of cuts. I think so. they need to have a bad motherfucker title for females, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, think if you're going to do that, right, that that's taking a page from WWE all day. Oh, absolutely. So yep. if you're going to do that, I think you have to make it... Um, for females as well, because there's a couple BMFs in the female divisions as well. I mean, also, isn't the champ in the division the BMF at the same time? You know, I, it's 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 kind of a thin line. But, you know, I, I think that you've got to take their hats off to those guys for promoting it and making a big event. You know, you had two guys that were, you know, largely known, at least for me, you know, anybody listening can, uh, you know, uh, you know, Drop at me on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, you know, two essentially journeyman uh, fighters and they made it a huge event and they made the biggest star in boxing acquiesce to them. And hold on. We can't even be mad, bro. Are you look? Have you looked at the WBA recently? Uh, yeah. How many yeah, belts do they have? Yeah. Yeah. Like four. Three per division. Interim. What? Super. What regular. did we say the other day? 49 champions? Yeah. Yeah, something, something crazy like that. like that. I mean, yeah. you can't be mad at that. I mean, yeah. they took a page. And, and, and they even, awesome. not only did they take a page from the WWE book, but they used The Rock to promote it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And did you Very see smart. Nick or Nate Diaz's comments towards The Rock after? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he said did. he can get it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking hey. of comments after the fight, Masvidal, uh, which... I don't think should be taken seriously, but you know, he, he referenced that he would fight Canelo. Um, 
I should have pulled that sound by. I don't think anybody really wants to see that. I don't see any reason for Canelo, especially when we were just talking about how many options he has. Listen, if Canelo fights Jorge Masvidal, he's not getting any credit for that win. It's a lose-lose situation. He'll be criticized because uh, Mayweather was criticized for the McGregor fight, but Mayweather yeah. was at the tail end of his career. Yeah. He was going and out. He was retired. He's coming out of retirement. Canelo is 29 years old. In his prime. In his prime and the top cash cow in boxing. If you take that fight with Masvidal, which you would wash Masvidal in, um, you would definitely be criticized the rest of your career. There's no... Yeah. No reason to take that fight. And, you know, I get it from Masvidal's standpoint. That's smart marketing. Hey, I'm going to call out the cash cow there so I can cash in like McGregor. You know, that's smart. He's been a journeyman, like you said. So um, great fighter. Don't get me wrong. When we say journeyman, we don't mean because he's not a good fighter. He's a he's a great fighter. And it seems as of late, he's come on and really stacked up some some big victories. So I'm glad he's getting a payday. He's a local kid. He's out of Miami. So that's a that's a great thing. Um, but come on, you Masvidal, you you. You can't fuck with Canelo. Not in a boxing no, match. No, not, in, not in, at all. In the octagon, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But in a boxing match, um, other boxers can't fuck with Canelo. Exactly. So, no, yeah. I, I don't see it happening. And also, I'll give him some respect too because guys like Anderson Silva called out Roy Jones way past their prime. Yeah, Roy McGregor, Jones was like 100. Yeah, McGregor fighting Mayweather way past his prime. At least Masvidal is calling out a, a guy who's at the top of his game in the sport. I guess I'll give him credit for that. But we know what this is. That's nothing more than clout chasing. Oh, I was going to say, he is calling a guy out at the top and, and in his prime, but would he be calling out a guy in his prime that doesn't have the clout of a Canelo. Would he be doing that? Not mm, to say he wouldn't fight, fight him because he, he probably would. He, he loves mean, to fight. He but loves would to he, fight, period. Would he, yeah. would he call it out, though, like that, cross-platform like that? I don't think so. Probably not. And Why would he? And you know what? He he still has um, a, a potential fight with McGregor. So it's not like he doesn't have a big fight he, he can have in the UFC and MMA. Let's be honest, though. He ain't going to make more than two, three million on that fight. Hey, it's better than the 500000 he got against Diaz, apparently. That, that's what's being reported, that what he got. You know, maybe he got more, you know, looking at a, a endorsements, marketing, et cetera. But, you know, the comparison. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe he saw that and maybe that's why. Maybe I should call out Canelo. Canelo reportedly made $35 million uh, for his performance against Kovalev, while Masvidal made uh, $500,000, um, which, you know, for the the normal man, the working man, as I would say, you know, like myself, that's a that's a huge lot of money. $500,000 is not is not broke money at all, but it's not comparable to the 35 million it's not canelo, canelo money canelo, canelo made five hundred thousand sleeping on that couch yeah yeah <laughs> he really <laughs> did like, you really know did. what i'm saying like yeah, really so did. you can't compare it and and again just like you said respect to masvidal for you know 
having the the balls to call somebody out like Canelo if that fight were to happen even as an exhibition you know he stands to make the best payday of his life and he can ride off into the sunset he's a guy that's earned that at least being you know through so many wars exactly and also you know if guys are serious about doing this about crossing over the sports whether you're a boxer trying to go to MMA or MMA trying to go into boxing if Masvidal took like five I guess you would call them warm-up fights or something and against proven guys you know maybe a guy lower level than up the competition and then got maybe five wins before that it would make that fight more uh understandable more viable if he did that but you know it's all about the money and I think they would head straight into uh, a fight with Alvarez if that were even a possibility speaking of that though Speaking of big fights, so by the time this podcast airs, um, the fight will probably have been over. Um, it will have uh, already the result, but tomorrow morning, uh, so uh, I guess the good part about being on the East Coast is that it'll start for us about 5 a.m., the telecast. Um, Nonito, Filipino Flash, Donair at the uh, Saitama Super Arena in Saitama, Japan, will take on the monster, Nawa Inoue. For the, uh, I believe the WBA um, Super, excuse me, Bantamweight Championship. And uh, the winner will be crowned the uh, winner of the World Boxing Super Series Bantamweight Tournament. Now, uh, below uh, Bantamweight and at Bantam, so at Bantamweight and below, Donaire only has one loss. And that came at the, uh, I believe it was the second professional fight of his career. Um, all of his losses have come above Bantamweight, but he's running into a guy who is one that many consider one of the best in the world, pound for pound. Um, and also one of the biggest punchers in the sport. And not only one of the biggest punchers, one of the sharpest and most accurate punchers in the sport. Does Donaire have a chance at all? I mean, Donaire five, six years ago might've had a chance. You know, we can't count him out. No, we won't count we, him out. We've won't seen him, him do some spectacular stuff. Do you remember when... Um, Donaire, everybody thought Donaire was going to lose and he he scored the spectacular knockout. What was the gentleman's name? The, Fernando Montiel? No. The European guy. Vic Darchinian? Darchinian. Darchinian was knocking everybody out. Yeah. And Donaire countered him and scored a spectacular knockout. And... and you know, it was. It was still to this day one of my favorite knockouts of all time. Um, it took place, I believe, in about uh, like 2007 when uh, Donaire first fought Darchinian. Uh, he stopped him in the fifth round with a counter left left hand uh, that sounded like a shotgun. Um, it landed, and you know, Darchinian uh, barely made it back up to his feet. Uh, if that, um, it, it was definitely one of my favorite knockouts ever. And then the Montiel knockout as well. I mean, that was beautiful. That was supposed to determine the best Bantamweight in the division. It was actually going on, I think, at the same time as the uh, uh, the Bantamweight tournament um, that Showtime was doing that had, like, Abner Mares, Joseph Ekbeko, you know, um, in that series. So I think Donaire definitely has a chance against Inoue. But the thing is, man, you know, just looking back at Donaire's career— Inoue might be the best fighter he's fought, too. I mean, either him or Rigondeaux. 
No, he had, in a way, has to be it. Because remember, just earlier in this podcast, we talked about how he moved up three weight classes, yeah. knocking dudes out. And, you know, as spectacular as Rigandau is or was, we don't know where he's at now, but as spectacular as he is as a fighter, he hasn't accomplished what Inoue has as a professional. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, I, I think this fight highlights, um, you know, in, in how great Donaire is. And uh, he's somebody we definitely have to appreciate because if you remember going back seven years ago in 2012, he fought four times that year. He was awarded the Fighter of the Year by most publications. He didn't have to fight Rigandau after that. He could have skipped over him if he wanted to. Um, but the public demand for it and he, he went in, you know, he lost, but at least he fought him. And now he's fighting in a way, um, you know, Donaire, I think you might have met him um, when you covered the Crawford post-off fight a few years ago in Vegas. One of the nicest guys you can meet in the sport. Um, you know, he's definitely somebody, it, it's weird because it's almost like you you almost want him to win. You know, you, know, you don't really want to see him get knocked out because he's such a great person. He is. He he treats you like he's known you all his life. So definitely a good guy. Um, but in a way, he's a nice guy too. Met yeah. him as well. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there was a huge language barrier, but um, he was very gracious in, in meeting as well. And, you know, I think it's great for Asian fighters. Yeah. I think, you know, because they've been on the rise, but you see them in the lower weight classes, like where this fight's being contested at. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're seeing more and more Asian fighters, you know, come into prominence and that's a good thing for boxing diversity is always a great thing it's always a great thing and it's important especially um you know because boxing is an international sport correct you know and it's great to see that you know fighters from all walks of life are getting more and more attention in fact you know donaire is one of only four asian boxers to have won titles in four weight classes um so that includes um you know guys like manny pacquiao of course himself the great um, manny pacquiao yeah, the great manny Pack and even Donnie Nietes, who's another, I believe, a super flyweight champion. He's now four division champion as well. So it's definitely a historic fight. You can make the argument this might be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, all Asian bout that has taken place um, in the sport, at least in quite some time. So I I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, it'll it'll be coming up um, pretty early uh, tomorrow morning uh, or Thursday morning. Um, telecast starts at 5 a.m. I'm sure the fight itself hopefully will come on at 9 a.m. Eastern. So, you know, I was complaining a bit earlier about being an East Coast fan um, and fights starting late, but this is the opposite, and this is kind of where it works in our favor. So here's my question. What's your prediction on the fight, man? Man... You know, hey, you know, you never want to root. You you have you have your favorites, you know. But as a media person, you you lean more towards having favorite fights more so than favorite fighters. Correct. You know, um, Donaire is definitely one of those people in the sport of boxing that you always want to see him do well, and you always want wish him the best. Having said that, um, I'm a big believer in in a way. Um, I, I think that he's definitely the sharpest puncher in the game. I think that um, he's one of those guys that can see openings and immediately takes action when those openings come into place. Um, I, I think he's never fought a guy with Donaire's experience, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with um, a, a similar kind of stoppage to um, 
Donaire stoppage loss to Nicholas Walters a few years ago. I know that that was at featherweight, but it was a fight where I think Donaire, if I'm mistaken, like landed a left hook that, that kind of hurt Walters. And I think the second or third round, but he was eventually stopped. And I, I think I see something similar happening happen here. Like I think in the first two rounds, I think Donaire might land his left hook um, in, in a maybe he throws it awkwardly and it lands on Inoue and maybe Inoue gets hurt or, or stumbles, but I think Inoue is going to basically make the necessary adjustments and, and possibly stop Donaire. And I think it's going to be um, a body attack. And I think a, a body attack, and what I mean by that is I think he's going to hurt Donaire to the body, maybe faint that he's going to the body again, then, you know, hit him with that right hand, which is something that um, Inoue is very good at, at um, doing where he maneuvers guys into his right hand, which he did beautifully against uh, Juan Carlos Pajano specifically. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be stopped on body shots as well. Exactly yeah. exactly how I saw it. I think Inouye is a great body puncher. So he's a monster, man. He, he's a monster. <laughs> he's a monster. He, he lives up to his moniker, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, but at the end of the day, um, you know, fights aren't won on paper. They're won in the ring. So we'll definitely see. And, you know, we wish both guys the best of luck there. Absolutely. So question and answer session. We got some questions from the fans that came in. So I'm going to read the first one. I, I want to get your answer first. Um, we got a question here from Jordan Brand. Jordan B. Brand from Instagram. So at Jordan B. Brand. The question, what are your thoughts on YouTuber stars entering the boxing scene? Ah, man. Uh, you know, um, I think this weekend, uh, Logan Paul is taking on KSI. Um, I'm unfamiliar with both guys as far as their YouTube channels. I know you Logan sound, Paul. You sound is, very excited about that fight. <laughs> I mean, listen, man. I, I know that Billy Joe Saunders is fighting on the car. So is Devin Haney. I, I just can't take it seriously like it's a, a regular boxing match. You know, I, I guess it's good for them. I'm not going to knock their hustle. Um, you know, if they can get it however they can, you know, good for them. You know, it's, it seems like a big event. A lot of boxing media coverage is going on for them from a lot of big platforms like ESPN and USA Today. As far as them getting into the sport, listen, for me, I don't, I'm not, nobody's putting a gun to my head to watch this fight. I'm not really going to watch it. I don't have no interest in watching it. Um, but, you know, as far as them coming into the arena, if it brings more eyes to the sport, you know, I think normally guys like Billy Joe Saunders might not have a platform to come in, um, you know, into the United States, you know, unless they're fighting a big name. So this is another opportunity for maybe for them to get known. So that's a good thing, I think. And also Devin Haney fighting on the undercard. That's a good thing as well. Maybe a lot of people will see him that, you know, might not normally have. So there's good and bad to it. Um, you know, as it, it brings new eyes to the sport. So that's a positive. So I'm not going to ask you about predictions because we don't, we don't know KSI or Logan Paul or not at all. We, I mean, a win or a loss with either one doesn't affect us. <laughs> I don't even know who won the first fight. It was this a draw. It, it was, was a draw. A draw. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well then. Um, but you know, Obviously, we don't care. Now, they say Logan Paul could pursue a boxing career, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, until that happens, that that's not something we're going to cover. Um, 
with everything you say, you said it's going to bring eyes to the sport and whatnot. It could. Do you, do you think this is something that might happen in MMA as well? Do you, do you I'm see? I'm surprised, actually. I'm glad you brought that up because with the amount of, you know, safety issues, especially this year being highlighted in boxing. I, I know they fought last year, technically, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm surprised they didn't go the MMA route for it. I mean, it, it, it's... It's a sport for, you know, where they have a lot of the younger audience from 18 to 25, I think, um, that you're looking for. So I'm surprised that they didn't do an MMA bout. But, hey, um, you know, good for good for us that they chose to do boxing then. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely see, you know, what they end up producing inside the ring. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, don't don't go in there with high expectations like you're going to see um, some high end pugilism. So we got another question here. This one's from Steven Weinberg, who we had on the last episode, Front Proof Media writer and photographer. Um, Shout out to Steven. Shout out to Steven. Why did the World Boxing Super Series not succeed in the U.S.? Well, uh, I'll tell you why. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with uh, the marketing and where they chose to feature fights. Um, I'll give you an example. We actually covered um, when they came to Orlando when I believe Emmanuel Rodriguez uh, fought Jason Maloney. And I think a lot of that reason why they chose to go to Orlando, Florida, because there's a, it's a hotbed for a lot of Puerto Rican fans. But Rodriguez isn't a big name even in Puerto Rico you know it's it's a misconception that just because you put a Puerto Rican in you know that a lot of Puerto Rican fans are going to show up you know there has to be a connection there of some sorts and I I think that maybe they ran bigger arenas than they should have for a lot of these fights you know um but there there just wasn't that connection there with the marketing that they that they had man they just didn't put the right fights on in, in the right places period I think the weight classes um, played but a major Bantam part weight. in that because in the U.S., the the Bantam weights and, you know, Adam weights, fly weights, all of that don't get the kind of coverage that no. heavyweights, middleweights, welterweights, you know, they, they just don't get that kind of coverage. And people don't want to see the small guys here um, in the U.K., they're covered more in Japan. They're covered more. Hence the reason why you see a lot of the boxing super series, world boxing super series fights taking place in the UK, Japan, and, and, and Europe, yeah. you know, because they, they like that type of stuff a lot more, or I, I can't say like, that's the wrong word, but they accept it more because right. again, boxing is a world sport. Um, in the Olympics at one time, the Olympics was pretty much a lot of these guys only outlet. That was their professional ranks in a way, uh, particularly for Cuba, you know? So in Europe, it's celebrated a lot more. Also the world boxing super series like there, you know, one of the ways to combat that is through your social media. Um, you know, their YouTube channels, I don't think produced enough of enough coverage of these fights either. There was not a lot of, you know, background on guys like Emmanuel Rodriguez, Jason Maloney, so we could know who these fighters are. You know, there wasn't a lot of these 24 seven style shows that I know that they did for the first year of the super mid, uh, the, uh, world boxing super series, specifically in the super middleweight division. So, you know, I, I, 
I think it was a combination of a lot of things. The financing for it wasn't there at all. I don't know if you remember um, a few months ago, Regis Prograce was threatening to, you know, drop out of the tournament if the fight with Josh Taylor didn't make even Nonito Donaire. Too, you know, there was a delay in making the fight with um, Nawa Inoue. You know, there were issues where Zolani Tete, you know, who was a champion out of South Africa, dropped out of the tournament, and Donaire ended up fighting Stephen Young. So it hasn't been a smooth ride. I, I don't think it's a hundred percent their fault. You know, you can only do, you know, do with what you have. But it, it definitely um, wasn't as successful, I think, as their first go around. And I don't know if. Um, We'll see it continue from here. I, I think if it does, I don't think they should repeat weight classes like they did this time with cruiserweight. They got to go with a, a bigger weight class. They got to get bigger fighters with bigger names. Imagine, imagine how big it would be if they did a world boxing super series. Now, this is probably, you know, impossible, you know, with the amount of different promoters. But imagine if they did a world boxing super series at welterweight with guys <laughs> like Sean Porter, Manny Pacquiao, Terrence Crawford. That would be... Probably the biggest event in the sport. Doesn't Period. even have to be those guys. Yeah. It could be mm -hmm. Miguel Cruz and, and guys like that. You know, the welterweight division is hot. Yeah. There's a lot of talent there. So it doesn't have to be those top tier guys. And, and no disrespect to anybody else because anybody who steps in the ring is a, a top tier professional. Right. But um, in terms of reputation, I mean, yeah. you know, titles no, and whatnot. But um, man, I'd, I'd love to see the welterweight division be a part of Think it. about that. I mean, or, or even super, super welterweight guys like Julian Williams, you know, who are not the biggest names, but you know, they definitely have name recognition in the sport. Um, you know, guys like, uh, Jamal Charlo, Tony Harrison, you know, if they could work something out. And I think all those guys, uh, fall within that PBC umbrella. So they could work something out there. You know, there's definitely a lot of possibilities, but I, I think, you know, to answer Steven's questions, it's basically a wide variety of factors that I think played into the role as to the World Boxing Super Series not being as popular in the U.S. Absolutely. So one last question came from Garrett Armwood, and he asked me specifically this question. He said, at what point does the fan booing make fighters fight more or do they feel under pressure to fight more or, or put more of a show on? And so my answer to that, and I'd like to get your thoughts as yeah, well, but absolutely. you know, as a fighter, you can't worry about that. You have a game plan. You have to stick to that game plan. Yeah. You can't let fans dictate how you fight. You know, yeah, they can cheer you on and, and give you energy, but it should never be, uh, to your detriment or to your potential detriment by listening to booing or, or whatnot because you hear fans boo in a great tactical fight yeah. many times. Yeah, uh, and you know what? I actually, uh, you know, I'm probably in the minority. I actually really enjoyed the Canelo-Kovalev fight from a tactical perspective too and even the Jacobs fight. And I know through the Kovalev fight, there was some splattering of boos, um, you know, here or there at certain points. I think maybe I, I remember specifically the eighth round and that was around that Canelo took off. But um, I, I think it, uh, it depends on the fighter. You know, guys like Floyd Mayweather, you know, the crowd never affected them. Um, his main rival, Manny Pacquiao, I, I think... 
Uh, there was a quote I read from him a few years ago where he talked about the fights with Marquez where uh, he was asked why, you know, he's the guy with the faster hands, faster feet. Why is he the one coming forward? And he basically stated that if I didn't come forward, there wouldn't be a fight. So I don't know if that was, you know, a game plan for the fight against Marquez. And certainly, you know, he had a lot of success against Marquez and vice versa. But, you know, maybe that played into it um, with Manny. Uh, I remember Keith Thurman after his fight with Leonard Bundu. You know, that was one of the first times he, I, I should say, one of the first times that I remember him getting booed. And um, he basically stated after the fight, you know, well, why don't you come in the ring and do my job for me? You know, exactly. And... I, I, I can respect that. I, I think it depends on the fighter if the crowd affects them. I, I, I would think it shouldn't. And I think that a lot of fights, um, you know, specifically with a lot of holding, and I know we bring him up a lot, <laughs> John Ruiz, you know, his oh, fights might have deserved some booing. But, you know, I, I think Canelo Kovalev, some of these more tactical fights, you know, I, I don't think the booing is necessary. But you got to understand, a lot of the fans that are there um, may not be hardcore boxing fans. And just like... Like we say about uh, photography, a lot of people might not know what they're looking at. They don't. They they definitely don't. But I got a real special, special guest saved for the end of this show. We want to welcome UFC veteran and bare knuckle fighting championship badass Jason Knight. He will be headlining BKFC 9 this November 16th against rival Artem Lobov. Jason, how you doing? Doing good, man. I just got home from the gym and in the process of making me some ramen noodles, trying to give me a little something to eat in my belly. I got, you know, right an hour and then I head to the next gym. So Artem Lobov, as most of you know, uh, defeated Pauli Malinaji for you boxing fans out there. Um, in his most recent fight. And Jason Knight and Artem Lobov had a classic fight that goes down in the history of BKFC, pretty much put him on the map. Can you talk a little bit about that fight and what you were feeling in there and whether you thought you won and what you think you could do differently in this next highly anticipated rematch? Man, I honestly thought that I won the first fight. Uh, because if you go back to the first round, uh, there was a knockdown that they didn't score for me. Um, it, it clearly states in the rules that, you know, if it, if it's caused by a punch, then it is a knockdown. If it's not caused by a punch, then it's not a knockdown. And both times that he fell in the first round, you can clearly see the punches land. If you go back and you, you know, you watch the replays and everything. Um, also, you know, I, I believe that they scored the they scored that first round based on you know who came out with the most damage. Of course, I came out with the most damage. I have the most scar tissue. I have the more bony face. You know my my bone structure, my facial structure is going to cause me to cut and bleed worse than Artem. So you know they they gave him that round, and I don't believe that they should have gave him that round. And then also you know later on in the fight, there was a time or two that. He didn't knock me down. That I, you know, I either slipped or he pushed me, or I went for, you know, I know it was second or third round. I went for a clinch, and uh, I slipped. You know, he, he slipped his head out, and I slipped and fell fell to the ground. And you know, if you go back and you rewatch the fight, and you actually count what is, you know, actual knockdowns and what's not knockdowns, you know, you go by the the way that they're supposed to judge it. 
you know, if it wasn't a punch or if it was a punch, you'll see that, you know, he didn't knock me down as many times as they said that he did. And then I knocked him down more than what they said that I did. But, uh, you know, I believe that I won the first fight. And I believe that, you know, the, the only reason it was so close is because, you know, after that first punch got thrown, I threw every bit of my skill out the window. I just went to brawling. You know, I went to, I went into fight mode and I was trying to knock him out. I was trying to hurt him, you know, not thinking about how to do it and not thinking about how to fight correctly. I was just trying to knock his head off. You know, I think one of the biggest things, you know, one of the biggest mistakes, and I've said this in several other interviews, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I made and Arnold also made in that fight, we underestimated the other guy. You know, we thought for sure that we're going to land that one big punch that closes the show. We're going to get the knockout, and, you know, it's going to happen this round, or it's going to happen this round, you know, whatever. We thought that for sure we're fixing to make this guy quit. And, uh, neither one of us was willing to give up, you know, so it made for an awesome fight. It definitely was an awesome fight. Now, I did watch the fight. I actually watched it again today before I talked to you, and I saw the. it was a punch. Clear as day, you dropped him twice in the first round. The, the second time you dropped him, it was ruled a slip. Um, that kind of changed the complexion of the fight, um, certainly changed the scoring, uh, I had it a lot closer than than I, I actually think at, at the very worst, it should have been a draw um, due to that. I also saw uh, that when you were dropped, it looked like in the second round when you were dropped, um, he might have kind of buzzed you, but you were still game. Can you talk a little bit about what you were feeling in there, were you comfortable? I know you come from an MMA background. The bare knuckle thing is a, a little bit different. Can you talk about how you felt in the ring? Were you comfortable at all with Lobov? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was comfortable the whole fight. You know, it was, it was, you know, my kind of, my kind of fight. I, I love to get down and dirty and you know see what the other guy can take. And obviously, you know, Autumn can take just as much as I can pretty much. And, uh, you know, I was, I was perfectly fine with trading those shots, taking those cuts, uh, getting knocked down, getting back up. You know, it, I, I loved it. I had a blast in there and I believe we're going to do a lot of the same in this fight. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things for me in that fight was I, I got, you know, I kind of lost my head. I didn't, I didn't think smart, you know, and, uh, I didn't really even try to use any skill, you know, I, I showed a lot of heart, a lot of toughness, you know, a lot of tenacity, but I, I didn't show anybody in the world what kind of skills that I actually have. And, you know, that's the plan this fight. I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show a lot more skill. I'm going to, you know, fight a lot smarter, keep my hands up a lot more and keep my feet planted. And you know, that was a, that was a, a big factor in that first fight. Uh, you know, I, I got flat-footed a lot, you know, and I got flat-footed and just threw big, heavy bombs and threw myself off balance a lot. And, uh, you know, that, that helped me fall down plenty of times. Got my feet crossed up and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I think that was you know, a big factor in, you know, some of, the, some of the scoring as well. Let me ask you this. So I noticed in the third round, 
Lobov seemingly, well, he did knock you down. Um, it was ruled a knockdown. But initially, it looked like the referee was going to rule it a slip. And then you kind of stumbled. And he, it looked as if the referee changed his judgment and ruled it a knockdown. What was going through your head at that moment? Uh, if you if you go back and you look at that, the it's third, you said third round. I'm glad you said that. I remember exactly what you're talking about. Um, that was not caused by a punch. He didn't knock me down. If you if you look, I'm going for a clinch, and I wind up you know with my elbow kind of around the back of his head. Well, he he puts his hands on the back of my elbow, slips his head out, and pushes me, and I fell down. Well. The only reason that I got my feet crossed up is because I, I tried to stand up so fast. I tried to stand up so fast that my feet were crossed up. And, yeah, it looks like my equilibrium was off, but we were trading bombs. You know, my equilibrium was probably off 90% of the fight. But, uh, you know, what was going through my head was, you know, I didn't I didn't get hit. You know, it wasn't a punch. He pushed me. But, you know, oh, well, whatever. I wasn't, I wasn't that much worried about it. I just knew that. I got to get back in there and get back to fighting. You know, that's all, that's all I really cared about was getting right back to it. Okay. So I did see recently on social media, you said in this next fight, somebody's going to sleep. Correct. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Uh, I don't plan on it being me, but if that's the case, that's what's going to happen. You know, one of us have to have to end this, you know, one of us have to go unconscious so that there's no questions left. You know, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no arguing about the decision. It's just you know somebody goes to sleep and that's the end of it. Somebody walks away with their hands raised while the other man's unconscious. No doubt. You talk about skill. We know you're skilled. You had a 20 and six mixed martial arts professional record and you're a UFC veteran. So we know you can get it done. You have the skill there. Can you tell us, aside from the obvious differences between mixed martial arts and bare-knuckle boxing, can you tell us the difference in how you prepare? What What are the differences? What do you have to do different, or what does your mindset have to be uh, to go into the different sports? Oh, uh, you know... For for one, you have to you have to be prepared to to take that damage. You have to be prepared to get hit with bare fists versus a glove. You know, of course, you know the the four ounce gloves are not a whole lot of protection, but it does keep you from that bone on bone contact. You know, it keeps you from the actual, you know, the actual thing that's going to cut you the easiest. And uh, you know, I believe. That right there alone, you have to you have to be mentally prepared to to deal with that. A lot of people, they're not ready to be cut up and and bleeding the way that I was. You know, they're not they're not they don't have it in their heart. You know, you have to have that heart. You have to have that hunger. And uh, as far as you know, like changes as far as like going from MMA to to bare knuckle, I thought that you know the transition would be really easy. I thought that. You know, I'm going from five-minute rounds to two-minute rounds. I can do five-minute rounds all day long, so these two-minute rounds aren't going to be nothing. Well, then I go into a boxing gym, and I'm already in decent shape, you know, for an MMA fight. Because in an MMA fight, you can pace yourself. You know, you got five minutes to to win that round. You have plenty of time for error and mistakes. You know, have, you have time to, to make up for that. 
to have time. Like if, if you get down in the first two minutes, you still got three minutes that you can catch back up. But the way that the boxing works, when I went into a boxing gym and we're doing two minute rounds, I've got a guy who's throwing 200 punches at me in two minutes and I got to try to keep up with him. And, uh, I, I didn't realize that, you know, you can jog. I said this earlier, you know, you can jog all day long. You know, you, you can jog for, for miles and miles, but you can only sprint so far before you start getting tired. And that's kind of how these, these rounds are. That's kind of how the bare knuckle is, the boxing aspect of it. You have to sprint in order to stay ahead of the guy. If you don't sprint, then the other guy's going to get ahead and he's going to stay ahead. And, you know, with the bare knuckle, they only have five two-minute rounds. That's 10 minutes, all right? Well, I don't have any time to fill this guy out. I don't have any time to, to waste. I have to get in there and I have to get to work. And you know, that was that was a big you know, big step up, I guess, a big change because I, I'm used to being able to you know, lay back, be comfortable, and you know, if I start losing the fight on the feet, I take it down. Uh, if I start losing the fight on the ground, I work my way back up and try to you know, win it on my feet. But, you know, now you have nothing but punches and you have to get to work. So, you know, that that's that's kind of the biggest change to me is just the the fact that I don't I don't have that 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 coast mode. You, I guess you could say you, you can't you can't set your cruise control at all. You have to get in there and you have to work your ass off or the other guy's going to be ahead of you. And there, there's no catching up in that sort of a time. So now that you have that experience. Is there anything that you've changed in your training regiment to be prepared for that this second time around? Uh, man, really, I, I've done a lot of the same, but I've trained a whole lot harder. You know, I thought uh, 10 minutes, you know, that's nothing. I could do 10 minutes holding my breath. But uh, it's, it's a lot It's a lot more different whenever you get in there and the other guy is just as game as you are. You know, in, in shape is one thing. But, you know, in awesome shape, that's, that's something different. And right now I'm in awesome shape. I'm in phenomenal shape. Uh, I've trained twice as hard as I did last time, trained twice as much, and you know, I'm twice as prepared. And I'm hoping and praying that Artem's just as prepared because I don't want to fight him at his worst. I want to fight him at his best. I want to beat him at his best. And, you know, I want to walk away from it with my hand raised knowing that I went out there and – I beat him and I was the better man that night. Not that, not that, you know, he was, he was tired or whatever. I want him to be right there the whole time. So you mentioned the bare knuckle versus having four ounce gloves on and with fighter safety, safety becoming more and more prevalent in combat sports. Do you feel as though bare knuckle fighting is actually safer than boxing and MMA? I, honestly, I do because, you know, in boxing, you got the 16-ounce gloves or, or 12-ounce gloves, whatever whatever size gloves it is. But uh, you got you got the gloves, and that causes way more head trauma. And they're going to let you get knocked down, you're going to get back up. They're going to let you get knocked down, you're going to get back up over and over and over again. In bare knuckle, you know, you got it, – it's going to be easier to close the show and knock somebody out with a bare fist than it is a pillow on your hand. And then uh, also MMA, I man, you got kicks, you got knees, you got elbows, you you got whenever you do get knocked down, you got a guy who can jump on you and ground and pound you. 
you know, you've got way more variables there that are going to you know, give you damage. And I mean, of course, you if you go back and you look at my Arnold's flight and you see our faces, you think, oh, my God, this is so much worse. They got cut up so much worse. Well, I got cut. That was it. I had zero brain damage. I had zero kind of concussions. Uh, my hands weren't even broken. That's that's your 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 biggest injury, I guess you could say, would probably be breaking your hands. And I got lucky enough I didn't break mine. But, uh, you know, I, I could see a lot more people with broken hands than anything. But uh, as far as, like, concussions i i really if me and autumn both didn't have a concussion from that last fight i don't see many people getting concussions you know i I just don't see it the the rounds are too short the fight is too short to really worry about concussions i I don't really think it's going to happen that much in boxing you got you do pretty much the same thing we just did but you do it for 12 rounds with with bigger gloves and take a whole lot more damage mma you do the same thing we did, but worse. You know, you got knees, you got elbows, you got head kicks, all these, all these different things. And then on top of that, you got guys that might break your arm from an arm bar, or you know, they might slam you and, and hurt your shoulder. You know, different little things. Uh, a heel hook might break your ankle or your knee. You know, you don't have to worry about that in bare knuckle boxing. All you have to worry about are these superficial cuts that are gonna heal up in a couple weeks, and you know. I just I don't see anybody really getting any real brain damage from it. You know, it's so short. It's, it's such a such a quick time and it's done. I mean, MMA you got you got two rounds equal up to you know my five rounds, and then you got some of these title fights and, and uh, main event fights. They're five round fights. That's twenty five minutes versus ten minutes. I mean, I just see more damage there. That is great insight. Um, Hector and I have talked about that and there's been boxers who have come on record and, and said that MMA and and other forms of combat sports are safer because of the accumulative damage. So that is great insight. We really appreciate you providing that. Now, just to kind of switch up the, the gears here, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What got you into fighting? Um, kind of your background in fighting what w- tell us about jason knight oh man as long as i can remember you know uh my big brother he, he's always you know been tough on me he didn't want he didn't want his little brother to get picked on he didn't want me to be a little sissy so he beat the hell out of me you know he uh he made me tough and um anytime anybody looked my way, talked crazy, any, any little thing that I could fight over, I was fighting. You know, if, if anybody tried to pick on me, we were fighting. Uh, I, I didn't take anything off anybody, you know, my whole life. And then, uh, you know, I was just getting in trouble left and right, fighting in school and stuff like that. And around the time that I was 14, uh, there's a guy, he's, he's my actually my brother-in-law now, was a guy named Jay Bullock. He was just, you know, kind of a friend of the family. He wanted to teach me how to how to throw straight punches, how to box. And he's he really wasn't all that great, but he was a whole lot better than I was. He's he was probably twenty five at the time. I was fourteen. So I, I get with him and we start, you know, we start working on throwing straight punches. 
uh, teaching me how to use my left hand because you know when I was younger I didn't I couldn't throw a punch with my left hand to save my life I'd grab your t-shirt and go to town with the right and uh, you know grab your hair go to town with the right whatever and then uh, I get with Jay Bullock we start training in my backyard you know throwing straight punches stuff like that and then we slowly but surely you know we start looking at Eddie Bravo books and looking at you know different mixed martial arts books uh, Muay Thai books and stuff like that and we start learning different things just out of these books, you know, we're trying to trying to figure out, you know, what we can do to get better. And then I'm I'm probably six months in, you know, to this little training that we're doing in the backyard. And then uh, Jay Bullock, he goes to a place called the Fight Club. I mean, I'm sorry, he goes to a place called the Whiskey. It was a little bar called the Whiskey, and he finds uh, they're passing out flyers for a place called the Fight Club in Mobile, Alabama. And they put on these little rinky-dink backyard fights. Uh, they would put them on at the bar, or the Aberstrine Center, you know, just different little venues around Mobile. And they had us fighting in a 16 by 16 dog kennel inside. Of, you know, they they stick that dog kennel inside of a boxing ring, and they would call that their cage. And uh, I went six and zero right there, you know, from from training in my backyard. Uh, my my brother-in-law Jay Bullock. My older brother and a couple of my buddies, you know, we all got out there and went to putting in work. And at this time, man, all I had, I had a, a rear neck and choke that I've been doing since I was four or five, you know, just grab up the choke hold and sink it in, put on that body triangle. You know, I, I did that since I was a little kid. And uh, I was really good at it. You know, anytime we hit the ground, I, I think out of those six fights, I won four of them by rear neck and choke. I got one knockout and then one uh, TKO. And uh, then we hear about Alan Belcher. I start training with him, you know, and then the rest is history. I've, I've been doing it ever since. So what would you say has been your most satisfying win to date? Um, My most satisfying win? I would say uh, the fight that got me into the UFC. It's a, a guy named Musa Kamanaya. I fought him for Titan FC. And the reason I say that's the most satisfying, man, I've never, I've never just been beaten and, and felt so, so, uh, doomed, I guess you could say. Like I, I thought for sure there was no way I could win this fight. I go in there and I took the fight on two weeks notice. And I don't know if you know who Musa Kamenati is, but he used to be the M1 global champion at 155. Uh, he was a Sambo world champion at one time. He he was a beast. He was, I think, he was number ten in the whole country of Russia at, at the time. And uh, we go into the fight, and he beats me like a drum for a round and a half. I'm talking about he knocked me down two or three times. And every time he would take me down, he he was a lot better wrestler than me. Every time he would take me down, I would tie him up with my rubber guard. When he would slip out the rubber guard, hit me with several good shots. And I remember laying there on my back at one point in time, and I've got him, I'm just holding him down on my rubber guard and I look over to my right, and my big brother's in my corner. And that's the first time ever in a fight I looked over, and my brother just had that look on his face like, oh, my God. You know, he, he just, he had a look on his face like, what are you going to do? And instantly that put it in my head, oh, my God, I'm done. You know, this guy, I'm going to lose this fight. And I thought for sure I was going to, man. I, I just kept hunting the submission, kept hunting the submission. And eventually I got him in a, a weird arm bar from, from rubber guard. And 
I thought for sure that I was he was going to tap or I was going to break his arm because I had his arm hyperextended. And I'm talking bad hyperextended. I was giving it everything I had trying to break his arm. And uh, somehow, some way, I feel him start to slip out of the arm bar. So I switched it to a triangle choke, like arm bar triangle, just, you know, just that quick. Had him in the triangle. I pulled down. I gave it everything I had. And he tapped out. And, you know, thank God he tapped out because whenever, whenever I stood up, I was dead. I was done. You know, I, I had two weeks notice for the fight, and I came straight off the couch and took the fight. But that fight right there, it got me into the UFC. I had, speaking of concussions, you know, I've never had uh, a concussion before that fight. I had a concussion, and for like a solid month and a half, every time I would turn over in bed or if I was at work and I tried to duck under something, I would just about pass out. I would, I would get dizzy. And uh, that was from Musa Kamanaya. He, he beat the stuffing out of me, and I wound up coming out with the win anyways, you know. Now, I notice you also have a notable split decision win over Jim Ehlers, who also is a beast in the bare-knuckle boxing. Um, can you talk about that fight a little bit? Um, if you go back and you watch it, we got a fight of the night. But uh, if you go back and you watch it, I, I beat the stuffing out of Jim in the UFC. Um, I beat him pretty bad in the first and second round. Uh that's where I got the nickname Hick Diaz because he was he was almost kind of running from me a little bit in the fight. And I was screaming at him, come on, boy, fight me. Let's go. Let's go. And I was I was just – I was mad, I guess, because he, he had talked about – I remember watching an a interview of his where he was talking about he's going to take me down and tap me out. He's going to get back to what got him to the UFC. And uh, I remember at one point in the fight, I, I slapped my legs and I tell him, "Go for that takedown, boy! I know that's what you want." You know, and I was just, I was, I was amped up. And first and second round, I felt like I dominated. And then we come out, you know, going to the third round. I'm thinking, you know, this is supposed to be easy, just like the first two. I'm just going to coast my way through it. And as soon as I come out, Jim rocks me, bam, and he comes out just fighting hard he comes out fighting so hard and uh i feel like he won that third round and uh but you know i, I definitely felt like i deserved the win we got fight of the night that was my first time uh in the ufc that i got that fifty thousand dollar bonus and you know it was a life-changing a life-changing experience you know now he fights at 55 in bare knuckle correct yeah um I think he's been at, at 55 in MMA and everything ever since me and him fought the first time. And you're you're fighting Lebov again at 45, correct? Yes, sir. And uh, they're they're talking about possibly trying to get Jim Allers the uh, the winner of the fight. And I'm down with that 100. percent You know, I took his best shots. He's took my best shots. And I don't feel like he can get me out of there as quick as he's been getting the rest of these guys out there. I think he's going to have to fight me. But. Uh, but there's there's somebody else on the horizon too, right? Uh, Johnny Bedford has been kind of jawing back and forth with you. Is that correct? Uh, nobody's really even that much worried about Johnny Bedford, but um, you know, like I was saying, if Jim if Jim is going to get the fight, he has to come down to one forty five. But uh, Johnny Bedford, that's a fight that I definitely want. You know, eventually I want to fight Johnny Bedford. I don't care when it is, how it is, where it is. But uh, you know, no disrespect or anything like that. He uh, 
he he started acting like just because he's ran through all these one thirty fivers, who you know the 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 biggest competition he had was Reggie Barnett, and uh, whenever he fought Reggie, Reggie seemed off that night. Reggie seemed scared almost, and uh, just about everybody he's fought, whenever he hits them, they they don't they don't know what to do. It's like they get scared or something. But I promise you, I'm not going to shy away from his his power or any of that. You know, I don't, I don't think that he has enough in him to to be able to beat me, and I don't think that he has enough to beat anybody. You know, that's legit in the 145 pound division. He talks about he wants to fight me, Artem Lobov, Jim Allers. You put me, Artem, or Jim in there, and we're going to put that boy to sleep. I, I, I can bet you a million dollars on that. Now, I do want to see say this. So. I was personally at the lowball versus Malinaji card, um, and Hector was as well. And I had the pleasure of meeting you shortly. Um, you were on your way inside of Lobov's dressing room to wish him luck for the fight. And to me, that showed great sportsmanship. So uh, a lot of respect to you for that. Sure. Thank you, man. Uh yeah, I, I don't have any kind of disrespect or ill will towards Artem whatsoever anymore. Um, no, of course, there was a bunch of bad blood before the fight because he talked some crap, I talked some crap. And, you know, we both was ready to just knock each other out. But, you know, after the fight, we gained a lot of respect for each other. And anytime he's not fighting me, I'm going to root for him. But, you know, unfortunately, November the 16th, he's going to be fighting me. And whenever we step inside that squared circle, we're not going to be friends anymore. We're going to be enemies until it's over. And, uh, you know, that's that's all I can say. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give everything I got to put him to sleep. You know, friendship aside, you know, whether or not he's a cool guy and everything, that doesn't matter on November 16th. Jason, is there anything that you want to say to your fans out there? Uh Make sure that y'all are watching November 16th. I don't care if it's pay-per-view or if you're there in person. But, you know, do everything you can to make sure that you watch because I promise you I'm, I'm coming to put on a show for you. I, I, it's not for anybody else, but, you know, me, you, and God himself, we're going to go out there and we're going to put on a show. And uh, I promise you I, I'm not going to disappoint anybody. And if fans want to find you, like on f- social media, where can they find Jason Knight? Uh, if you're on Twitter, it's uh, at Jason the Kid 23. Instagram at JTK the Kid. Uh, Facebook, I've got Jason Knight, and then I've also got Jason the Kid Knight, which is my fan page. So you know, go follow me on on everything that you can, and you know, support me as much as you can. And I promise you, I won't disappoint anybody. And just to show you a little support, I noticed that you have some gear for sale, shirts, hats. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and plug that here. Um, Jason does have some merchandise for sale. Um, it's a good guy. You definitely want to get behind him and support. Where can they find this gear? Uh, alphablacklabel.com. Go to Alpha, and we got the shirts and hats for sale on there. Uh, there's, you know, if you're if you're wanting to do away with the shipping on, on orders over a hundred dollars, you uh, you add in the coupon the coupon code free shipping, and you won't have to you won't have to deal with the shipping at all. 
Um, there, there's another coupon code. It's some numbers. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it gives you 10% off your order. I got that for you. It's $5 off of orders of $99 or more. That coupon code for everyone out there interested, that's 329812. Again, 329812. Make sure to pick up Jason Knight's merchandise. Uh, It helps them out a lot. Uh, These fighters go through hell when they're training and when they're in the ring. And this man is a warrior. So are there any closing remarks you want to make about the fight, about your fans, anything like that before we close out? Uh, you know, all I can say that, you know, I haven't said already, I got saved, you know, a few weeks ago and I give all the glory to God. You know, he, he got me to where I'm at and he's given me this platform. So, you know, I'm going to pray to God that I win and, you know, hopefully I can go out there and tell you how he did it for me afterwards. Thank you so much for your time. It's, it's very valuable. I know you've been training hard. We really appreciate your time today. And we look forward to your fight, your big fight against Artem Lobov, November 16th. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having me on the show. And uh, hopefully after the fight, we can get on here and talk about the big win. Yes, sir. All right, man. Y'all have a good day. We want to thank everyone for tuning in to the show today. This is Front Proof Nation. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen. Also, follow us on Instagram at Front Proof Media, the podcast at Front Proof Nation. Tweet us at Front Proof Media. And if you have any questions you want answered on the podcast, email us, fpnation at frontproofmedia.com. And don't forget to check out the website at www.frontproofmedia.com.